It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On today's episode of Adventures in Vinyl, we review another album by a band from England that would be considered influential among such genres as alternative rock, gothic rock, shoegaze, and new wave. That band is The Cure, and the album is Disintegration. Boys and girls, it's Saturday. What's going on, Adam? Not a whole lot, Todd. I heard we had a sponsor for the, today's episode. We do, in fact, have a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good and Who Want to Learn to Do Other Stuff Good, too. Oh, wow. Such Todd a great institution. Todd and I are graduates of this fine institute of higher learning, despite our inability to make words good. That's right. The alphabet is hard, Todd. It is hard. It really English is, is a really hard letters, language. And for some reason, we have to memorize them in order. And the vowels are not used the way they would sound. Exactly. And there's multiple spellings for the word there. You know, I've heard that the English language is the most difficult language to learn amongst all of the world's tongues. I'm not surprised. I think it's the, the, it's the multiple uh, words that the are spelled words differently. Words that sound the same, that are spelled differently, mm-hmm. that... Sound the same, look the same, even, and are pronounced the same. And yet they're supposed to have different mm-hmm. meanings in different contexts. Well, you know, I guess uh, going back to our alma mater, that explains why I only got a 15 on the English part of the ACT. I did a little bit better than that, but I... Ah, oh, the math was bad. The math was so bad. <laughs> hey, you know what time it is? It is time for the song of the week. Song of the week. Yeah. You got it. So what's your song of the week, Adam? We're throwing it back to 1999. A band that was popular during that transition from grunge to alternative era, Sponge. And it's not one of the albums that you're probably thinking of, like uh, Wax Ecstatic or Rotten Pinata. Right. Going a little later, 1999, to the album New Pop Sunday. Which It's funny because I don't think that album gets near enough credit. Uh, Sponge did a great job on that album. It's just more poppy than their more moody predecessors in Wax Ecstatic and, and Rotting Pinata. But the song is Radio Paraline. Like, I've always loved that song. It's got a good driving beat. Uh, the Mazzola brothers, like, they're just awesome uh, on bass and guitar. Like, I love those guys. Mm-hmm. They're such stellar musicians. They write great songs. And uh, Vinny Dombrowski on that song in particular. I just really like his vocal. So I've been listening to that a lot. It's kind of on my favorites playlist, something that I listen to pretty often. For me, my song of the week is a uh, cover of the Beatles classic Come Together by Gary Clark Jr. Um, it's off the, it's the only thing that came out of the uh, movie Justice League that was good, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I haven't watched the extended edition fully yet. I've made it two hours through the four and a half hours or whatever it is. Yeah. But I would tend to agree with you. Come Together is probably, uh, it's, it's my favorite Beatles song. 
right? Um, and I love the way it can be, it's covered, um, the different tones that people bring to it. Um, just Gary Clark's Jr.'s edition, you know, he had some high gain, a little bit of fuzz, it just makes it raunchy. It's just a great sounding cover. So, uh, highly recommend checking that out. Absolutely will. Gary Clark Jr. is a talented dude. Yeah, yeah. And oh, Kevin his. Down in Austin, man. Like, you ever watch the show Friday Night Lights? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They oh, featured him freaking. in one of like, the later season episodes yeah. and such good stuff. That was one of my favorite shows. Oh, it's one of the best TV shows ever. Yeah. If you haven't seen Friday Night Lights, I could not recommend a TV series more. You know, the coach that was on that show plays... Um, Kyle Chandler. Yeah, he plays the dad of um, The Flash in the Flash movie that came out that sucked. I never did see it. Uh, yeah, I think it's out on streaming now. Okay. So if you got like HBO Max or something, you can check it out there. Um, not that this is a movie channel or anything, but just kind of relating the actors we're to Friday both Night movie, Lights. Movie yeah, fanatics. we both love. It, it's actually I didn't really. I, I'm surprised it didn't do as well as the box office, but streaming, I thought it was a good movie. Well, I think that DC their movies have been so hit or miss, whereas yeah. the Marvel ones have been consistently watchable. Yeah, I think DC now. I read an article this morning actually talking about this that DC like if Aquaman, you know. Mm-hmm. craps the bed at the box office whenever it comes out, they're probably going to quit making DC well, movies. Well, the, James Gunn, I think, is doing, they're developing new new stuff. Yeah, the, so, um, the Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy, which I really like, and I love the way he does soundtracks and bring music into the albums. So I think that's going to be, I, I'm hopeful, you know, yeah. just because I'm a big Batman nerd. Gunn has proven um, that he knows what he's doing when it comes to yeah. comic books. And then I think there's an opportunity to kind of bring that in a different light, kind of like how they're doing Star Wars now on Disney+, Plus, some of those streaming shows. Um you know, some good opportunities there. So yeah, we'll see. Absolutely. Well, Todd, I'm incredibly excited to talk about me the album too. Today. We, there's actually background on this. So when we, uh, we all kind of were at Florida together on the beach and we were talking about future episodes and we already had some albums that we had in this, this round that we record. We mentioned we record several episodes at the same time, um, just to, you know, make use of everyone's schedule and time. But, we were looking at the overall planning and we're like, Hey man, I think we need to do something a little bit different. Um, and then I brought up, Hey, what about the cure? And we were both like, Oh yeah, the cure You mentioned the cure because I had not even thought about the cure. for Right. And then we're like, well, which album do we pick? Right. Do we pick kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. Do we pick which? like what, what wild mood swing, wild mood swing. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. And so we went with the disintegration and I'm glad that we did. This is the album I'd actually listened to the least, which is almost shocking to me yeah. because it is probably the most influential Cure album overall. Well, and for me, right, I listened to a lot of the singles of The Cure, but I never listened to a Cure album track to track. and From beginning to end. From beginning to end. Yeah. And uh, I listened to this one probably about 13 or 14 times at least. Oh, for sure. Just, just preparing for the show. So Todd and I, just to give everybody a, a time reference, it's been roughly a week and a half since Todd and I came back from Florida. Two weeks right. for you, a week and a half for me. I've probably listened to this album a dozen times. In yeah. That period. Like uh, that, you know, when we talked about it that night, I you know made sure I downloaded it. I listened to it on the plane back to Little Rock. Um, and then just listen to it every chance I got just during the work week, uh, commuting to and from work, just really trying to get the overall vibe of the album and just really good. You know, this is the first time we're going to talk about the cure. So we got to give a little bit of history. Um, so the cure is a English rock band formed in 1978, um, in Crawley, West Sussex, England. Um, 
the cure has gone through numerous lineup changes uh, since the band's formation. So when we think of the cure, I, I kind of just think of Robert Smith. He's the real constant. Yeah. He's the constant member over the years. He's been the guitarist, lead vocalist, writes um, all the songs. Um, he produces. He produces it. produced this right. album. And Disintegration is the Ace Studio album by The Cure, which was released on May 2nd, 1989. Uh, it's on Fiction Records. The album's a follow-up to the really commercial success of Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Um, and I think during the during the supporting tour for Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, um, there was some friction in the band uh, increasing due to lull to Hertz alcoholism at the time and some other issues. Well, and Robert Smith was struggling to right. cope with stardom. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because after Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, the band became very, very, um, I think Robert Smith was very disappointed in the fame that they were receiving. Well, he, yeah, he was not coping well with the fame, but he was also at a place where he felt like the band had gotten away from what they had started with which right was like that more moody right downtrodden vibe well they became more as known of as as a pop, pop band, band. Yeah. right instead of like some just kinda... like heaven was the big single coming right. off of kiss me kiss me kiss mm-hmm. me and if you've heard just like heaven i mean that is a very poppy song mm-hmm. and he actually moved to waldeville in west london with his fiance mary pool kind of after kiss me kiss me kiss me um my understanding is uh, Robert Smith got really kind of depressed, started using some LSD to cope with all the depression. Nothing like some acid to clear things up. Clear things up, right? (laughs) Um, And, you know, feeling that the band was misunderstood, I guess he wanted to return to more of its dark goth rock style that The Cure had in its early years. He was Um, also struggling with the fact that he was about to turn 30. Right. That was a big theme of this album. He's, He's lamenting the fact that he's about to slip into his dreaded 30s, which modernized <laughs> a couple of 40-somethings are like, are you kidding? Are you dude? kidding? How can you be depressed about entering the 30s? Seriously, what I wouldn't give to have my, my energy back. level when I was in my 30s. <laughs> to go to, to be able to go to bed at midnight and then wake up at 5 a.m. Right? Seriously, when you're early enough in your career that you can pretty much yeah. do anything you want to and then just wake up on minimal sleep and perform. I know. Along with producing credits um, to Robert Smith, David M. Allen, uh, did some of the producing on the album. Um, this album reached number three on the UK charts and number 12 in the U S lots of hit singles that we'll talk about and lots of facts by factual facts, factual by, facts, factual no facts news here, folks. by chat GPT. Lots of information out there. This album was recorded at hooked in recording studios. Interesting. This is like an old barn type of big house out in the middle of England. That was a uh, previous owner was David Gilmore of pink Floyd just for reference. It is the longest album in the Cure's discography. It comes in at around 71 minutes and 42 seconds. Um, the cover art of the album is a distorted image of Robert Smith's face. It was designed by Andy Vela, who is a longtime collaborator with the Cure. Uh, it's Robert Smith's favorite album. That's that not he's surprising. Done. It wasn't my favorite album before, but it might be my favorite album. Now. It's, you know, we kind of talk about top 10 albums and, uh, you know, we have on our about page there, that top 10 list. Right. And this is entering that top 10 list. I think, yeah. I think one of them's gonna, it's going to surpass the other, uh, one of the song, one of the, one of the albums on that list. I've got to update the website to reflect it. It's For become sure. a top 10 album. It's a great album. 12 yeah. tracks on the album. A lot of people agreed with this too. Uh, it was two times platinum in the U.S. Yeah, two times platinum in the it was U.S. Platinum in Spain. It was double gold in France. It was gold in Germany, Italy, New Zealand, Switzerland, and the U.K. Mm-hmm. A million copies were sold in Europe and four million worldwide. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Obviously, these guys had no problem translating to a worldwide audience. Yeah. Well, and I think it's just the more I listen to this album throughout each track, I couldn't really find something that I didn't like. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's their highest selling album to date. It was critically acclaimed. Right. Number 116 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. And there's very few albums that I really like to listen track by track. Yeah, they're they're rare, for sure. And normally my top 10 list is composed of albums I love to listen track by track. Um, so this was really, really glad I got to say, take a second look at The Cure instead of just focusing on the really singles that you see in movies and things like that and really getting into the band um, has made me a a big fan of The Cure. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'd always enjoyed The Cure, especially their more poppy stuff, like just like Heaven, right. Friday I'm in Love, Mint Car, a lot of really great poppy songs, even Love Song, right. which is on this album. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the departure from the rest of the album in that it's a little bit more upbeat. Not really upbeat, but it's more so than many of the tracks on Disintegration. Uh, but I'd always known them for their poppy side. I'd not listened to their more subdued side, like what you're going to find on right. this album. Well, and this is a very dark, dark album, right? It kicks off with track one, plain song at uh, five minutes and 12 seconds, um, which I think, you know, I really dig this song. It comes out and sets the tone uh, very instrumental at the beginning. Yeah, um, when you hear this song, what's what do you think of when you hear that keyboard at the beginning and the progression of the keyboard? What does it remind you of? Uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, because it's got that very Top Gun esque vibe that da, yeah. da, 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 da. it's right there right it almost feels like it could fit into this song um so they, that was the first thing that i noticed whenever i listened to the keyboard and the synth bass in that um i love the guitar tone I yeah mean, that's one thing that the cure has always done incredibly well is those ambient ethereal guitar tones yeah listen to any of their hit singles and you hear it there it's there, mm-hmm. whether it's more in front or more in the background. They're kind of the masters of delay, chorus, right. flange, like all the modulation effects. The Cure nail those. Right. And what, what I found is interesting is no lyrics. The lyrics are very short in the song, and they don't come in until the two, minute and 40, two minutes and 45 second mark. Yes. Right, which is I thought was really interesting. And just overall, right, it's a very pure love song. I think right out of the gate, right on the first track, this is really a song just about a couple living their life, mm-hmm. right? That I think if you're if you're married and you have that life partner, right, you can really relate to. It's just a really great song. Absolutely. So next song, number two, is Pictures of You, which was the fourth single on the album. Uh, yep. it was number 283 on Rolling Stone's greatest 500 songs of all time. What year? You know, that's a good question. I didn't actually... Because it was 278th on the 2004 year. Okay, well, there's not a huge difference when you're talking in terms of 500 songs. So True. Todd, you can just deal with the... Well, I'm just... One thing to note is, like, if we're looking at the rankings, and there were, like, you're, there's one that was, like, several years later, I think, that you referenced sure. just based on the facts, right? But what's cool about pictures of you, right, it's throughout time, right? So you can even see it's relevant in today's... Um, today's uh, time frame, right? Or fan base, right? Um, Lit actually covered the song on their 2004 uh, album. Lit did? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so check that out. I can't say that I listened to their 2004 album. Yeah. 
eponymous. I listened to their first album, and that was basically yeah, it. But it's it's a, a song on their 2004 eponymous album. If you want to check out that cover, okay. Um, it's been featured on a ton of TV shows and movies that I've never heard of. <laughs> but <laughs> apparently, all these fans of the Cure, are like, I gotta put pictures of you on my on my show. I've got to put pictures sh- of you on a lot my of TV movie. Scores that yeah. love this song. Apparently, yeah. it was number 19 on the U.S. Alternative Air playlist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was number 71 on the Billboard Hot 100. Number 24 on the UK Singles. Huge song, and it's uh, based it's not even the one they're most well known for on this album. No, but it's it's actually based on an essay by Myra Polio uh, called "The Dark Power of Ritual Pictures." Um, Smith stated after reading it, he destroyed his old personal photos um, and many of his home videos in effort to wipe away his past, and he came to regret that decision mm. a few days later. I think there's another reference as far as this song was about, like maybe it had to do with a fire or something like that. It, um, yeah, there was apparently a fire that destroyed a lot of his his property. And right. He was going back through, he was finding these old pictures, right, and looking through them, and some of them were distorted and warped, and you know, some just utterly destroyed, some still mostly visible but mm-hmm. damaged. And this, from what I read, goes to that theme of Robert Smith sorting through the wreckage, right? Um, and you look at it; it's a fairly long song at seven minutes and twenty four seconds. Yeah, I mean it. Really, like the ninety second mark is when it drops into the burst melody. Right. I mean, it's a seven minute song with an almost two minute intro. Which <laughs> get ready for more of that. Yeah, that's all. That is a this album. that is a big theme of the overall album. But it's just another great track, right? And uh, you know, it just kind of leads in where you've got track three, which is closed down, coming in at uh, you know, it's track three. It's four minutes and sixteen seconds song uh, long. It's uh, I really like this one as well. Right. I would expect after track three, based on so many instrumental tracks before, right, with very limited lyrics, that it would kind of fizzle out. But what I liked is just the overall drum beats that drive the song and how they incorporate the synthesizer in the song is really great. Um, it's more instrumental with minimal lyrics. Again, it's a song that the lyrics don't start until two the minutes and 17 point, seconds the within the song. Point of the song. Over the halfway point. And there's only seven lines of lyrics in the song. And then it goes back to an instrument. There's, that's a total, by the way, of 40 seconds. 40 seconds of 40 lyrics. 40 seconds of lyrics in a four minute and 18 seconds song. Yeah. I mean, so all of them have had long intros so far, each song on the album. Um, what I loved in this one is that deep, watery, right. chorus bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I'm a bass player. That's what I listen for. And the cure, like their bass lines stand out in almost mm-hmm. every single song. But I love that deep, watery, chorus bass. And the fact that it's not muddled, it's actually very clear. Yeah. But they do a great job of dialing in that tone. Yeah, just just another great song. And it's funny, Close another down. thing about this one, it's the title of the album starts to feel very apropos at this point. <laughs> right, right. I mean, when you listen to the songs before, it's like you feel like you're listening to Robert Smith sing his own eulogy as you mm-hmm. go throughout this album. Yeah. And this song, like that's when the theme of that started to resonate with me. Oh, okay. Like disintegration. I get it now. It's yeah. like this guy's disintegrating before our very eyes because he feels like, Oh no, I'm turning 30 and I'm about to die. Yeah. And I've done all this work and I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I've already peaked. Yeah. And so what do I, where do I go? From what here? do I go from here? I am just going to get really depressed. Totally not true as well, by, as well, by the way, because by the next album, they're banging out Friday. I'm in love and going yeah. massive. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't understand Robert Smith here, but you know, Hey, it's still just a great I track. I can't live his life for him. Yeah. Yeah. 
Then we go into Truck 4, Love Song, which is the third single off the album that was released on August 21st, 1989. It comes in at 3 minutes and 29 seconds. Um, peak number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Um, just you know, a little bit of stats Also on the alternative airplay charts, number two. Awesome. That's I mean, really cool. This is a classic. Yeah. I mean, it's been covered by everybody and their brother. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Adele... Mm-hmm. Covered it and was successful with it. Three uh, Elevens version. Three Elevens version. The Fifty yeah. First Days soundtrack. I mean, man, they sold a boatload of that song. Their cover of, of Love Song. It's a fantastic cover. Three Eleven from the early nineties. Go find it. If and just that riff, it. the riff that they do in that song yeah. is just uh, so recognizable. But also a perfect circle. Good yep. Charlotte. Yep. The Snake River Conspiracy. Death Cab for Cutie. Anne Berlin. Tori Amos. Yeah, name it. Well, and I think what makes this song unique, right? It has a distinctive bass bass riff, right? It's in the key of A minor. The verse follows a basic chord progression: A minor, G, F, E minor. Just a walk down. Yeah, and then it changes. The chord progression changes to F, G, A minor, C, which just I think that's it walks up, which makes it just as the chord progression change the transition just makes it a very good song that's pleasing it's structured to the ear. very well when you think about what the song is about it's a walk down and then it's a walk up right and i think that's why yeah. make you know all the covers that you mentioned um really add to it when you you know you've got a good song when tons of people are covering it yeah right and well think about this too listen to the first three, three songs and then listen to this song right it's a complete departure from what we've heard so far mm-hmm. straight up, this would be the most depressing album I'd ever heard. If we didn't have songs like love song and fascination street. Yeah, I would agree. Album. I would agree. Love song kind of like injects a little bit of like a, it's like a, what are that stuff? What's that stuff they injected in your heart? And it like adrenaline, you, adrenaline, it's like an adrenaline shot compared to the rest of the stuff on this yeah. album. But it's just a very poppy low key song. That's very singable, very enjoyable. You can dance to it. It hit, right. That's one thing that stuck out to me about this song is that it hit multiple different kinds of charts. It was on adult alternative airplay. Uh, it charted there. It charted in the adult top 40. It charted on dance charts. I mean, it was all over the place. And that's the thing about The Cure, too, is that you can't really isolate them into one genre. And I think that's why they've been so influential across many. And this song is a perfect example of that. Did I just talk for way too long? And no, it was really good. Speechless? No, it was really good. <laughs> Todd's like, I can't disagree with anything you just said. No, I mean, I think it's just a, <laughs> I was just a join list of the conversation, to be honest. Sometimes I just sit back and be like, yeah, that's really cool, man. <laughs> I don't have to say, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh, all right, right. Okay. Yep. I was just like, I'm just going to listen. Well, right on. That's kind of what you're supposed to do in radio anyways, is like not give pause words, but yeah. I'm really bad at it because I'm used to talking to people normally as opposed to over a microphone. So <laughs> sue me for being social. People. No, but love song. Great, great. Yes. Third single off the album. Fantastic. Now that leads us to track five, which is last dance comes in at four minutes and 42 seconds. So this song, right. When I, I had to listen to it a couple of times back to back to try to understand, you know, what's going on. So here I am. I'm five tracks in, I'm still digging the album. Um, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, I'm not skipping over track. Uh, over track. So if this even popped up on random, I probably wouldn't skip over it, right? I'm still like, hey, hot damn, this is <laughs> off disintegration. I'm listening to Last Dance, right? It's cool. But what what I really liked is the lyrics, right? Because it's, I think the song is overall about someone that you meet that you haven't, you know, someone you met that you haven't met in a long time, right? You meet them again. Um, they've changed, something like that. So I imagine like being in a high school reunion, meeting your high school sweetheart, and she's like, you know, 70 pounds heavier, uh, you know, she's, you know, got no teeth and you're like, dodge the bullet, there. dodge the bullet there. You know, it's that type of thing or it's someone that, you know, you, you've met, uh, you, you know, you haven't seen in a long time and things have changed and you still reference back those feelings or something like that. So I could see it going two ways. Um, but overall it's just a, uh, it's a really great song. That long lead in again. And yeah. A minute and 45 of instrumental before the vocals kick in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just kind of there for me. Yeah. To be honest with you, uh, I like the washed out guitars. Yeah, I do. Right, yeah. the, the chorus bass again. I love good mm-hmm. bass chorus. I love it when bassists play with a different than standard bass tone. To me, yeah, like that, it makes the instrument stand out. And the problem with rock music a lot of times is that only the guitars stand out. Yeah, and so I love it when the bassist kind of gets to shine. And to me, like one of the ways the Cure does that is that Simon Gallup plays with a lot of effects. Right. So this is another example of that. I love the tone in it. Um, but yeah, I find myself wanting to skip the next track. Oh, uh, which is Lullaby, which is track six at four minutes and eight seconds. It's the first single off the album that was released April 10th, 1989. First single in the UK. First single in the UK. But the US, the record companies didn't like Lullaby as the lead off single. Is that because it was about a recurring nightmare that Robert Smith had? I don't know. It was more because they didn't feel it was quite as accessible as Fascination uh, Street. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so instead of... It was the number. It was the first single in the UK, but the US record labels made this the second, second. single. So, Fascination Street was the first single off the album in, in the, the US, US and the yeah. second single in the UK. So they, they flip flopped it, uh-huh. right? But so it hit number five on the UK singles chart. It was number seventy four on the US Billboard Hot one hundred. Number twenty three on the US Billboard Modern Rock. So, Lullaby was still very successful in the United States. Yeah, but. I think if you think of two songs off this album, it's Love Song and Fascination Street. You don't necessarily yeah. think of Lullaby. Well, I thought, you know, Lullaby is a little bit psychedelic for me, right? Sure. Um, and I think lyrically, like when he's, he's talking about something and he goes, the Spider-Man comes, it's just uh, very interesting. So I was like, okay, this is either about him having a nightmare or he's just way on drugs. Well, one, <laughs> it was one of the other. that I saw was that his dad used to sing him songs at night before uh-huh. he went to bed. But a lot of those songs would have like these really like freaky, disturbing endings. Wow. That's messed up. And so how it kind of like really messed with him, like these disturbing songs that his mm-hmm. dad would sing to him at night. Um, I love the groove of it though. Uh, it's got like a really foot tappable pace. Yeah. Um, I like Robert Smith's soft kind of almost like whispered vocals. Yeah. Uh, 
their change of pace from the louder, like more frenetic mm -hmm. voice that he uses on a lot of the other tracks on this album. Well, it's very soft and creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really is. It's, it's kind of like everything is really low key and spooky. Yeah. Um, the guitar and keyboard interplay is really good on this song. It's one thing that stood out to me. I think it's one of their more underrated songs. It's just really easy to listen to. Right. Yeah. So the next one is, we've already mentioned it, but that's Fascination Street. So, Which was first single in the U.S., Yes. second yes. single in the U.K. Exactly. It hit number one on the U.S. Billboard Alter Alternative Airplay charts, right. number seven on the Dance Club charts, Yep. number four on the Mainstream Rock charts, and number 46 on the U.S. Hot 100. So, Just another great song, another yes. great track off the album. Killer bass line on right. this. I've always loved that bass line. I played in a band and we covered this and I loved learning the bass. Mm -hmm. It's just a great one to play. Um, another song that's actually been covered by at least one band that mm -hmm. I'm a fan of, uh, alternative band from the nineties that was like in the Christian tooth and nail record scene called Stave's Acre. They covered this with like a super dirty bass tone and wow, oh, it's so good. That's cool. It's just a great song. Um, again, the bass line to me stands out on this one. It kind of drives the song along with some really, uh, well-paced drums. Mm -hmm. I like the drum work on this as well. The rhythm section really nails this. Well, it's featured on the soundtrack of a 1989 movie called Lost Angels. Um, the reason why I mentioned this, it stars uh, Adam Horowitz, or Ad Rock from the Beastie Ad Boys, yeah. was in that film. Yeah. Um, the song is about Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Okay. Fascination um, Street. That Fascination Street. So, you know, that gives you a little bit when you're listening to the lyrics, kind of how to relate this. And then if you're a Beastie Boys fan, you know, it was used in a soundtrack of a movie. This is know, the Ad most rock, rock song yeah. on the album. Yeah. And I think it's just another one of those that you listen to covers, you know, that people cover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if artists are picking a song to cover, it's probably because it's a great song. Yeah. Um, but I've always loved Fascination Street. I could see why they made this one the first single in the U.S. It feels a little bit more of a mainstream U.S. song than Lullaby. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in the U.K., I can see why they would pick Lullaby versus Fascination Street. Well, maybe they just, uh, you know, in the U.K., when they get uh, lullabies or <laughs> not bedtime stories, they're nightmares. Well, we've, both, we've both been to the U.K., and so I, we... We understand their culture is yeah. a little different. Their musical culture is different. Lullaby fits well into their musical culture, in my opinion. Fascination Street does too, but I think that Lullaby fits a little bit better, mm -hmm. personally. Um, so the next song, number eight, is Prayers for Rain. At um, six minutes and five seconds. With another very long intro before the vocals come in. I'm That's right. 40. I think is the overall theme of the album. is like, hey, I'm going to go at least uh, a minute and a half to two minutes of instrumental. I'll have a minimal amount of lyrics, and then I'm going to play for two more minutes. Yep. That's pretty much the theme of the rest of the album, by yep. the way. And the vast majority of the album, period. Very clean guitar riff that I really like in the song. Uh, it's got a the song's got a deep dark vibe it to it. It kind of reminds you of a funeral dirge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, which is interesting when you think about the previous track, which was Fascination Street. Yeah, I mean, it gets to be a little bit repetitive. That's the only yeah. knock on it that I had. Like the three minute mark, I'm kind of tapping out. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, let's let's hey, move I'd, on. But you don't skip over it. No, right? I, I still haven't found a track on the album. Because just what they're doing with the keys and the guitars is so interesting. And I'm just yeah. going to go ahead and stick around. It's like, okay, it's going to be this for the next minute and a half. I could pass on the rest, or I could just let it go through. And yeah, but it's, it's still, overall, I haven't found something I would skip over. Mm 
right? As I sure. as I listen as I listen to this album over and over and over. I mean, and then we come up on track nine, you know, which is the same deep water as you, uh, longest song on the album. Which starts off with the rain, and the previous song was called Prayers for Rain. Correct. So apparently the prayers were answered. <laughs> At nine minutes and nineteen seconds, they better Thanks to the power of production. <laughs> and just when you think the album couldn't get any darker, bam, it gets darker. <laughs> So what, honestly, like, uh, more of that deep, watery chorus you hear on both the guitar and the bass. Another minute 30 of intro before the lyrics kick in. Nine and a half minutes long. I mean... Uh, Well, and when I got into this, trying to understand what the song was about, I had to stop because the more I dug into it, the darker it got. And I couldn't tell if the song was about, you know, spending your last moments with someone you love and they're just dying or if they're spending the last moments right before someone kills himself. So when I was looking at how dark the song was, I was like, I'm just going to stop and enjoy the song. Yeah. Uh, Cause the sure. dig, I think the deeper you, you could go down the rabbit hole really quick, trying to get into what the song's about. I mean, I listened to several songs to start and I checked the lyrics with each individual one. And after mm-hmm. about five or six songs, it's kind of like, you know, I think I get the theme here. I'm yeah. just going to pay attention to the music. Yeah, well, and that's that's where at this point I was like, I got to stop really digging into the lyrics, or I'm just going to get depressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, probably not a not a good one for sure. All yeah. right, number ten, disintegration, the Eight. album's namesake. Yeah, it's got a great bass line. That's the first thing that stands out to me is just that bass line. Um, I'd never really listened to the song a whole lot until I went back through the whole album to review it. The drums are like they keep a great pace um, yeah. along with the bass. Uh, it's another long song, man. It's like over eight minutes long with another minute and a half intro before the lyrics actually come in. Yeah, I, I think of it as good background music. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it, right? There's nothing great, but there's nothing it's, bad. It's repetitive after a while. I kind of want to tap out about halfway through. Yeah, but it's a nice transition. It's good. It's just like, okay. And then, yeah, and well, it's it kind of like okay, you've gotten all this stuff. Now we're going to transition to the final two tracks on my album, for sure, right? So yeah. at eleven, track eleven, you got homesick, another long track at seven minutes and six seconds. But the vocals on this one don't come in until three minutes and fifteen seconds into the song. Correct. This song is hard to listen to at the beginning. Uh, it isn't around till a minute forty that the song tends to come together a little bit. Um, it's not my favorite track on the album. The piano does kind of make it interesting. It gives it a little bit more yeah. of a dramatic, operatic. Well, yeah, yeah. and I think like, it's the pianos and violins after listening to the whole album. I was like, wait a minute, what's this? Yeah. I, like, okay, I get it. I've got, I'm going to listen to it. It's not that I wanted to skip. It's just interesting enough to keep you around for a little while. Longer. Right, right. And then you realize, oh, this is a seven-minute song. Yeah. And at the five-minute mark, you're going, all right, next. Yeah. that's uh, that's You're kind of like, is it over yet? Exactly, um, and then you get to the closing untitled track, track twelve at six minutes. And hey, there's no seconds. long intro here. No long intro. That's shocking. It's just a good build up to close the album. Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, when I hear the accordion esque intro yeah. the first thirty seconds, I'm like, ah, oh, jeez. And I feel Not like that this... I hate the accordion, but I'm like, what are we doing with an accordion here? Then, like right then, the drums hit and the kind of really unique bass line comes yeah. in, and then that watery cure a guitar tone again mm-hmm. and man like it's this is actually really good i i was 
impressed and pleasantly surprised with this track. Yeah, to me, when I listen to this track, I like, okay, this is every single Molly Ringwald film I've sure. watched or any Anthony Michael Hall film or John Cusack film. Anything done by John Hughes John in the Hughes. mid to late 80s. So I'm like, hey, this is Weird Science. This is uh, The Breakfast Club. This is 16 Candles. This is, this is, this is Say pink. Anything. Something, this is Pretty in Pink. Some kind of wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I was like, because anytime those movies come on, right, I just, I tend to watch those all the time. Oh, and a lot great, of it's because of the soundtracks and, the and everything in that. And I'm yes. like, this just kind of summed up that whole you know, late 80s era for me, this song. And uh, so I think that's one thing that really I gravitated towards this album was just the memories that brought back up listening to it because just the sound and overall tone of the album was all late 80s. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, and how that paralleled with my When I life. think about bands, though, that were from the eighties, but transitioned into the nineties by being big influencers for mm -hmm. the grunge movement. I think of the cure. I think of REM. Yeah. I think of the replacements, mm -hmm. the cure, just because I think they bring that more melancholy Gothic piece. Yeah. That translated into grunge. Whereas the replacements, we bring more like that Midwest punk that fell into the grunge right. era. Right. Um, and then REM with just kind of that jangly, tone that you can have in these grunge songs. Um, but those three bands in particular, uh, but the cure, they just really bring that more melancholy vibe yeah. to that nineties grunge that like, is just a year or two down the road. Well, and I think alternative, released. alternative rock kind of stems from this goth rock sure. type of, you know, it could be considered as an alternative rock album. It could be considered as a goth rock album. Yeah. It could be considered as a new wave album. Right. So it's, it's very diverse among genres. Yeah. Um, it's a very, I mean, Think about it. It's a really depressing album. Yeah, but I like lyrically. I like dark, depressing albums. It's dark though. and depressing. Like I immediately now this didn't come out for until several years later. But this is to me what the the crow when right. the movie came right. out. I think of this era Cure. Now the Cure actually did a very well known song on that album called Burn, mm -hmm. um, which I bought that soundtrack when Todd and I were down in Fort Walton and that song in particular is probably the best song on the album besides big empty by STP. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, the burn is by the cure is fantastic. It's a great song. And if you think of the crow, you think of that song and the nine inch nails song. On yeah. There. Those are the two that will stand out to yeah. you. Um, but man, like it's a depressing, but it's also awesome. This album is really, it surprised me how much I yeah. enjoyed this album especially being a big fan of like that 80s synth tone, mm -hmm. but also the Cure's guitar tone and also knowing that the bass line, Simon, Simon Gallup's always going to do something different than what you would expect on any given song. I just realized, man, this album is truly great in that it broke new ground and influenced an entire generation to come of musicians. Yeah. I just think this album is just a great way to kind of highlight our 10th episode of the podcast. You know, I love it when we pick an album that we can really get into that becomes something new. Um, you know, it's going to be heavy rotation of stuff I listen to. Um, it's definitely my top 10 now. Yeah. Um, and just really glad that we, uh, we're able to cover this. This is just something that I really enjoyed every minute of prep. Um, yeah. 
This is one that I show. had no problem yeah. listening to the album over and over again. It, For some, like like the At The Drive-In album, I listened to it three times and I felt like it was three times too many. <laughs> yeah. But this album, I, I will still listen to it. It will yeah. be one that I continue to listen to and I'll also be listening to more of Wish yeah. or Wild Mood Swings. Well, and that's where I'm... Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. And I can't wait to go and back and revisit other Cure albums. All right, and listen to them track by track. So this is what this album has done for me. Yeah, right? and it has made me more of a Cure fan than I think I've ever been. And when I was in like 1998, 1999, I was a big Cure fan, but not even as much as I am now. I'm now realizing how amazing these guys, their back catalog is and how influential they were to all of the genres of music that I'm a fan of. I'm a big Shoegaze fan. I right. love Shoegaze and the Cure are Huge pioneers in that realm. They influenced bands like My Bloody Valentine and Slow Dive and Starflyer 59 and all these bands that are well known in that scene, like The Cure. And then you look at Alternative, The Cure, mm-hmm. a huge influence on so many of those bands. Goth, The Cure. Yeah. I mean, even just pop, The Cure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can associate them with just about any well i think genre. any any goth band that you had right in the late 90s early 2000s right started with the cure. started with the cure For i sure. mean you the could tell those sound. those influences are there uh yeah. like uh who's the band that does blue monday oh yes um, um is it uh blue october no no, no new order I'll have it and just uh, no, yeah. It was uh, New Marilyn, Order was the original. New Order was the original original artist. band. Was it uh, Marilyn Manson? No, it's band? it's a uh, god. They I think they had like one good album, Orgy or something. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Orgy. Uh, Did they have to... one good whole album, Todd? Yeah, I, Orgy, I Orgy, co- you know, Orgy Blue Monday, right? Orgy's the band. Uh, they they had that song, song Blue Monday. Uh, Probably the know. only Orgy song you ever heard. <laughs> yeah, so that's just a good a good uh, example. And I think that's one of the things, right. When we talked about kind of starting this podcast is how do we, we find that finding new music or new things to listen to um, was something that we were striving to try to give people an opportunity to do. Right. So the stuff that we're introducing, it's going to be, you know, cross genre, it's going to be albums that hopefully will introduce you to other things to where when you put that on, Hey, I want to do infinite listen on Apple music on cure. Right. Well, this is going to drive to a lot of other bands that you may be able to listen to. So this is a it's good album. The beauty of something like, like Pandora, because right. it will take you in multiple different directions based mm-hmm. upon the sound generated by one act that you enjoy. So part of our goal here is to almost be your friendly Pandora to send you in multiple different directions and help find music perhaps you've never heard of. Perhaps you hadn't listened to in a really long time. Maybe you didn't give it a fair shake. Yeah, maybe you've just never been exposed to it at all. That's a lot of our goal here is just to introduce folks to the influences that have hit Todd and I musically over the years, and the things that we've been exposed to that we want to share with you. Absolutely. Well, that closes another episode of Adventures in Vinyl. But before we go, you need to visit our website at www.adventuresvinyl.com. Uh, you'll see links to all of our other podcasts um, to help support and help promote the channel. There's a link under the support section where you can buy an awesome Adventures Vinyl t-shirt. At the end of every podcast, you know, we will quote, you know, check out the Heather Green, check out the Heather Blue. The Heather Colors, the Tribal ones. If you really like the logo that Adam's wife, Danielle, put together, this is a great way to sponsor the show. Uh, highlights her work, especially that green, that Heather Green shirt. And the tri-blend is probably my favorite, favorite, favorite shirt. Um, Future episodes that are coming up. So we are going to cover some interesting albums. Um, 
One of those is coming up in a couple of episodes is going to be Failure uh, with the album Fantastic, Fantastic Planet. Planet. So get yes. get looking forward for, that one. for that one. Um, that's going to be probably our next episode. So Big uh, Wreck. Big Wreck is coming after that, of. Love and Memory. And then we're actually going to cover... Um, it's kind of some Americana type of country. So we've got uh, cross Canadian ragweed coming up, covering the album soul gravy. And then uh, we're going to visit some Tom Petty and the heartbreakers. And then it's Halloween time, ladies and gentlemen. So looking at possibly doing something special there, yes. we're not going to give you any hints, but it looks like uh, the way we're trending, we're thinking you about doing heard a, of this movie. We're going to think about doing a special soundtrack edition uh, with regarding to a couple of films that are around the Halloween so with that, I'm Todd Ward. I'm Adam Barron. <laughs>